And we were like, you know, there's there's a second war happening here now. There's a, a war for the physicians, the nurses, and the patients trying to keep you know themselves in good health. Is is a second battle on top of the battle that every Ukrainian currently feels in fighting this aggressor. And so we just it, it was a story that had to be told, and we needed to make sure that people knew that that at using healthcare as a weapon of war or a target of war is unacceptable, and we're just not going to tolerate it. What happens when the largest healthcare provider in New York decides to step up to help Ukrainian healthcare professionals and their patients survive in a time of war and hardship? And what if they made a documentary with a soundtrack by their own award-winning nurse choir? Let's talk all about it right here on this episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is all about you, your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, please consider leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast app you use. And please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. I appreciate my patrons and those who leave ratings and reviews so, so very much. And today, for this special episode of The Nurse Keith Show, we're joined by Dr. Eric Choi Pena, MD. He's the founding director of the Center for Global Health of Northwell Health and the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. And Danielle Philippone, she is an ambulatory OR nurse from Northwell Health Staten Island University Hospital and a member of the Northwell Health Nurse Choir. We're here to talk about a very, very special project supporting the healthcare professionals and healthcare patients in the Ukraine in this time of war. And Dr. Pena, I want to start with you first and just ask you just directly, how did Northwell Health, this large, the largest healthcare provider in New York, get involved in helping Ukraine through this beautiful documentary and the other aspects of the project that you're undertaking? Yeah, thank you. And thank you for having us. Um, it's an honor to be here. Um, you know, Northwell's overall mission from, from its founding really has been about, uh, you know, raising the health of communities uh, around the world, but particularly in New York. We've always had our eye on, on, on international communities because of this, the enormous um, diasporas that come to New York in our, in our catchment area. We have one of the diverse, most diverse patient populations um, in, um, in, the new, in the United States. And so um, when we, you know, learned of the uh, attack on Ukraine by Russia, um, we started seeing uh, images of, of, you know, disruptions in the healthcare, of hospitals being bombed. Um, from, from leadership all the way down, there was kind of a call to action. And this happens, you know, honestly, every time there's some major world event where healthcare is either threatened or needed, our employees and our team members, you know, write us and say, what are we doing? How can we help? How can individual team members help? Um, and how can the system help? And uh, that call, uh, you know, resonates with our our CEO Michael Dowling, and he, uh, you know, very quickly um, kind of started asking the Center for Global Health to respond uh, to this crisis uh, in a way that 
we could respond. We knew that we weren't a disaster relief organization and that we weren't going to kind of mobilize uh, you know, doctors to go into Ukraine during a time of war, that really we don't have the training for that and we're not, that's not our specialty. But where we could help, um, we wanted to. Right. And Michael J. Dowling, the CEO of Northwell, who you just mentioned, he said, quote, when healthcare is attacked, you don't just sit back and let it happen. You ask where you can help. So that seems to be the driving force and the kind of like the overarching, uh, what would you say, opinion or position of people at Northwell. And Danielle, you're a nurse at Northwell. It's the um, Staten Island University Hospital. And what kind of nurse are you, by the way? What do you do there? Hi, Keith. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am an operating room nurse in ambulatory surgery. Okay. And how did you first hear about what Northwell was doing? Was this like put out in an email? Did Was it word of mouth? Like what happened when the war broke out? Uh, we actually have huddles in the morning where our nurse managers relay information to us throughout the Northwell system. As you know, it's a very large system. We have, I think, 22 hospitals in, uh, in the Northeast. So it's a way for all the hospitals to communicate with each other. So we were uh, informed during one of our morning huddles. And when you were informed about it, what were they, were they asking the employees to do something specific or were they just kind of letting you know what was happening? At the time, they were just letting us know what was happening. They wanted to raise awareness so that everyone uh, throughout the hospital system knew the crisis and how healthcare was being targeted in Ukraine. Right, right. And the images most of us have seen are pretty devastating. Looking at hospitals and schools and churches and the places where people live, obviously, and stores and universities. And, you know, Eric, the the, the organization you work for, you, you founded the Center for Global Health of Northwell Health, and also the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. So what is the Center for Global Health of Northwell Health? What, what is the mission and what else have you done prior? You know, how, how did this come into being? Yeah, so it, it's a great question. It came into being essentially because, um, you know, in, in everything else that we do as a healthcare system, we have a significant amount of organization so that we leverage our economy of size um, to um, deliver better care, um, to improve communication and best practice and to reduce costs. Um, and, and what really, you know, became very obvious when I became the director of global health for the system in 2018 was we didn't have an organizing body. Um, at Northwell or in the Zucker School of Medicine. We, we didn't have an organization that could kind of take uh, disparate groups that were working, doing great things that just weren't talking to one another because everything was kind of done by, you know, individual relationships between nurses and, and groups that they were aware of in other countries or docs and, and another doc in another country. And so they were really, a lot of people were practicing global health in silos and they had no real awareness of what the other one was doing. And we actually have a great example in Haiti where we had two a urology program and a family medicine program that were operating in the same hospital in Capation, you know, weeks apart from one another and had no operational awareness of each other. And, you know, it became very obvious to us that we could do better. 
And so we created the Center for Global Health with the idea that Northwell was going to do the same kind of excellent programming across all specialties that it does um, in, in New York. And we wanted to do that well when we were set foot outside of the borders of the United States, that our best practice was 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 extended to those to those partnerships. Wow. Yeah, I actually have family um, in Haiti. I, my niece uh, married someone from Haiti, so they're involved in humanitarian work in Capetian and Port-au-Prince. So we'll have to talk about that offline. Absolutely. Um, talk about the projects that they're doing there. So I know that over a hundred healthcare facilities in the Ukraine have been destroyed since Russia invaded. There's probably more than that at this point. And I know that there was this notion of being able to be of service to the Ukrainian healthcare workers and the patients they serve through telemedicine. So what was it that you saw you could potentially do vis-a-vis telemedicine and telehealth? Well, we, we learned a lot coming out of COVID. Um, that that we you know we could, didn't necessarily have to shift experts between buildings. There was a lot of um, ability with virtual conferencing, with video conferencing, um, to provide not only non-clinical support. So you know everything from our emergency operations center to our administrative meetings all went online overnight. Um, but you know even rounding in ICUs, um, you know we we used a model where we had experts that were able to remote in and provide expertise on patients that they weren't able to drive to that hospital in Brooklyn, for instance, and go see. Um, And they could do it in an instant. And it was efficient and it got the knowledge to the bedside and it took better care of the patient. And so taking some of those kind of lessons learned and early wins, we said, well, maybe there's a system um, that would help Ukrainian doctors. Because one of the things that's so disruptive about war is not only obviously the physical destruction and death, which goes without saying, all of the systems, all of the referral pathways, all the subspecialists that you would call um, are no longer available. They're, mm-hmm. they're either re- redeployed doing something else or you know they don't have the ability to get to the bedside. And so we said, well, wouldn't it be amazing if we not only leverage the communication technology, but we just brought more specialists and subspecialists into Ukraine virtually to provide second opinions, to provide, even if it's just reassurance to, you know, uh, Ukraine has a very well-developed medical system. And so their orthopedic surgeons and ortho trauma surgeons are excellent, but every trauma surgeon and every orthopedic surgeon gets tired and everybody gets a little bleary eyed. And when you're on your ninth case of the day, sometimes you just want a friend that you can turn to and say, Hey, I'm thinking about this approach for this surgery. And I'm going to do this and use this tool. Um, What do you think of that? And even if it's just reassurance that, yeah, that's what I would do. And it's a well-rested Northwell doc reassuring a tired Ukrainian doctor that, that he or she has the right has the right plan, that's worth at least kind of what we, you know, what we were intending to do. And so we thought at the very least we could provide that. We had another, a couple of other out of the box ideas about rounding for them in the ICUs after surgeries. Um, But we basically, we approached it with the humility of knowing that they were the experts on their healthcare system and the openness to figure out that we can find a way to make a puzzle piece that will fit into their puzzle and help them. And it really, it required the humility and the openness in order for it to be successful. Wow. Yeah. And Danielle, as a nurse there, you know, boots on the ground nurse, what are your thoughts on 
what the nurses there are going through. The documentary, we'll talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. And the one nurse who's kind of featured in the documentary, Mm -hmm. you know, what did you first feel when you saw that and heard what she had to say and witnessed like what a bombed out hospital looks like? So it's uh, it's very emotional because we all suffered tragedies through COVID. You know, we went to work, we had our head down, we wore our PPE, we did what we had to do, we got yeah. through each day. Right. And and they have not had a chance to heal from that. And here they are afraid for their life when they go to work and not knowing if they're going to come home and see their family that day. Mm-hmm. And um, it's terrifying and it's sad. And I think, you know, as the choir being able to use our voice in this documentary could help reach people globally and bring awareness to how bad the situation is there in Ukraine and how much help they need. Mm-hmm. And and being part of the Northwell Nurse Choir, this came about obviously before the invasion. This came about during the pandemic. And yeah. when you first heard about the choir, just to pivot over to that for a second, Um, what was the first concept of what a nurse choir would actually do and what the purpose of it was? It became more than just entertainment. It brought awareness about mental health Hmm. for healthcare workers. We received so many emails from healthcare workers saying how, just hearing us sing got them through a really difficult time and we never could have imagined we would have had that kind of impact and then we realized how much it was helping us do the same thing and how good it was mentally for us so it it evolved into this beautiful thing Mm -hmm. that it is now yeah it is a beautiful thing and you were telling me before we started recording that in the beginning, you all were recording your tracks separately because you couldn't actually even practice together. And you hadn't even seen one another's faces for quite a long time because you were always wearing masks, even when you got together to sing, of course, during the, mm-hmm. those earlier days of the pandemic. But I want to let the audience know that the choir really kind of took off that you've been on the Today Show you have performed at the White House for President Biden yes. and you were on America's Got Talent and you actually were finalists at America's Got Talent. That was in 2021, I believe. We were. So as a nurse who's involved in a, let's call it a creative endeavor, right? I heard mm-hmm. you say mental health. I heard you mention uplifting other people right? Who heard the music and were like, God, they're so beautiful. And your nurses, what else do you think it does for a nurse like you or any of your colleagues? If you want to speak for some of them on what you know about them, having some sort of creative outlet, whether it's during a pandemic or not, like, what does it do for you? It grounds you, Keith. Mm -hmm. It gives you a chance to reset and enjoy life a little bit. We didn't know each other. We all worked at different hospitals and 
when we came together the first time, it was as if we had known each other our whole lives. We immediately became best friends. And it's because as nurses, we all have an understanding of what we went through. So there's an immediate bond. And that just carried on throughout our choir career. And uh, we wanted to share that with other healthcare workers too, that we're all in this together. That's really beautiful. And so this started well before the invasion of Ukraine, um, before any of this project started with Eric and everyone else. So, so Eric, part of this whole process, I know you've sent, when you first wrote to me, you said you'd sent 18,000 pounds of supplies valued at about $160,000 to Ukraine and you have a Ukraine relief fund. But I think you've sent a lot more than that by now, right? Yeah, I'm actually, uh, you know, I think between in-kind support and actual cash donations, yeah, um, it's a little over a million dollars now. A million dollars? Um, when you first wrote yeah. me, it was, it was barely 200,000. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so 180,000, I think, was our initial volley, um, which was the press conference that Mr. Dowling had. I, I believe it was the first or second week of March. We sent um, we sent that eighteen thousand pounds, one hundred eighty thousand dollars, or eighty thousand pounds of equipment. Um, it, it, you know, we then followed it up with a cash transfer of uh, um, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to two organizations. One of them, Doctors Without Borders, because, mm-hmm. like I said, we're not a we're not a disaster relief organization, but they are, and they were already staged when we spoke with them. They had. They had teams in Belarus. Um, they had on the ground staff that was sheltering in place in the initial part of the of the um, kind of countrywide bombardment in Ukraine. And they were also staged in Poland and they were ready to provide massive response. So we felt that they were kind of the best situated um, as an international NGO to response. We gave them a large gift. And then um, we actually also supported the Polish Institute for Emergency Medicine, which has this kind of Ukrainian cross-border initiative. Um, which, uh, you know, is a really small organization, but is very scrappy, knows most of the hospital managers, most of the doctors that are involved in coordinating care, was actually one of the organizations that was instrumental in, in forging the relationships between the Northwell telemedicine team and the, um, and the Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainian physicians that needed help. Um, and so we gave them a gift and we've been kind of giving them um, supplies. They've been a great logistics partner in getting supplies in. Um, we're actually, uh, we've, we've sent in um, C-arms, x-ray equipment, um, multiple, multiple shipments of orthopedic equipment. Um, we're now focusing on neurosurgical equipment and trying to get them some neurosurgical equipment. We actually just secured a donation of a very large piece of my, uh, my, uh, um, neurosurgical equipment called an exoscope, which allows for very complicated neurosurgical repairs. Um, which, which was needed, was badly needed. And so I'm, I'm really proud of our organization. I think, you know, Northwell, when we say we're going to do something, the one thing that I, I, I love about us, um, and it's one of the things that's kept me at Northwell and drew me to Northwell is that we really do it. You know, we don't, you know, we don't just kind of pay it lip service. We probably could have, you know, pat ourselves on the back after the initial volley and just say, yeah, we did great. We did a great thing. We did something that no other health system had done. But we weren't satisfied and we kept going and we kept pushing because it was important and it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And it's one of the few organizations that I've worked for where I've actually heard people in the C-suite ask, what is the right thing to do? And you would think that that's a more common expression in healthcare, but it really isn't. 
Um, and it's been inspiring. And so it's definitely what gets me up in the morning and gets me focused on my mission. That's that's fantastic. And where did the idea for the 12-minute documentary come from? And it's a beautiful documentary. I just re-watched it for the third time right before you all hopped on Zoom with me. So where did that originate? That's that's probably one of those questions that's like in the lore of Northwell. It, 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 <laughs> you know, our, our chief marketing officer, Ramon Soto, uh, said, you know, this is a story that needs to be told. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the idea that healthcare was being specifically targeted. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I think we should mention um, that Danielle mentioned is, you know, they also just came out of COVID too. So imagine come as a Ukrainian physician or nurse coming out of COVID and then having a, your neighboring country attack you mm-hmm. as you're coming out of a two-year pandemic. I mean, it literally took our breaths away. Mm-hmm. And we were like, you know, there's there's a second war happening here now. There's a, a war for the physicians, the nurses, and the patients trying to keep you know, themselves in good health is, is a second battle on top of the battle that every Ukrainian currently feels in fighting this aggressor. And so we just, it, it was a story that had to be told. And um, I think it, it resonated throughout the organization, but especially in the communications team, they they just you know really felt inspired that this is a story worth telling. People wanted to hear it. People needed to hear it, and we needed to make sure that people knew that that at using healthcare as a weapon of war or a target of war is unacceptable, mm-hmm. and we're just not going to tolerate it. Yeah, and the the documentary shows us you know the the impact of war on patients and providers and we see the interior and exterior of buildings and we hear about you know um having to grab ivs and run down with patients to the bomb shelter imagine danielle i mean like you were saying like imagine having to do that with your patients and then we there's one nurse featured she's sort of like the she's the thread through the whole 12 minutes and her you know her like steely optimism and ability just to like keep going like nurses do under great duress. And then it also shows a Northwell physician doing a, you know, a telehealth visit with a, a young, very young girl who's in need of a liver and a kidney transplant. And her dad is going to, you know, donate. And it's, I mean, it's really incredible. And you see this jaundiced little girl, you know, sitting there. So you kind of knitted together the the humanitarian um, endeavor and the pain and suffering with the beauty of the the music of the choir and Danielle had you had you actually seen the documentary so you knew what you were recording music for or was the documentary in process when you recorded the beautiful music the the documentary was in process so we process. didn't yeah so we weren't able to see it all come together until the end. I see. And what was it like learning a song in a different language? Well, um, it was a challenge, but considering what it was for, it was an honor. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, as I said, we all work full time in different hospitals, so it's hard to coordinate getting everyone together. So uh, they set a date for us to get together in the studio. So we had um, an, a seven hour span to hear it, learn it, learn the, the words in Ukrainian. And we heard the translation of the song. Mm. And we, so we had one day to do all of that and we wanted to do it justice. So uh, we took our time with it and it was a challenge, but um, it was well worth it for sure. Yeah. And 
Um, we're going to take a break for a second, and the audience is going to get to hear a little bit of the beautiful choral music during the break. We're going to do it a little differently. And we, when we come back from the break, I want to talk more about the Northwell Health Ukraine partnership. And Danielle, I have some more questions for you. And we will be right back with the second half of this special episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Stay with us. Welcome back to the second half of the episode. I'm so glad you all got to hear some of the beautiful music recorded by the Northwell Nurse Choir. We're here again with friends of the pod, Dr. Eric Choi Pena, MD, the founding director of the Center for Global Health of Northwell Health and the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell, and Danielle Philippone. She is a ambulatory surgical nurse at Northwell Health Staten Island University Hospital and a member of the Northwell Health Nurse Choir. And Danielle, the, the music is really beautiful. And had you, as a just a person in your in your life outside of your nursing career, had you sung before? Had that been one of your outlets in your life creatively? Thank you, Keith. Yes, um, I've been singing since I'm a little girl. No mm. formal training, but my mother and my grandmother used to sing to me and I just continued to do it. Mm. And what do you think it does for you? Because this is ostensibly a nursing career podcast. It's the, the scope of the show is pretty broad these <laughs> days. But what does it do for you just as a human being, you know, and a professional to have something that you do that has this other part of engages this other part of your brain and kind of helps you? Like what what happens for you when you're engaged in singing and you know, what kind of value do you feel like it brings to your life? Sure. It's calming for me and it's comforting. Um, it helps me express the way I feel. Mm -hmm. But I've also been able to segue my passion in, for singing into my work. 
Um, so I, as I said, I work in the operating room. When I meet patients in pre-op, I, I sing to them to really? make them feel, I do. I take requests and it makes them feel more comfortable before surgery. At least they get to know me a little bit because as a circulator, uh, they probably don't remember me. Um, you know, I don't spend too much time with them. So mm. I like to let them know that they're not alone. And uh, even though they feel vulnerable and they feel like their life is in someone else's hands, they know that there's somebody with them to comfort them. That's beautiful. So how do you broach that? Like, do you just start to sing or do you, <laughs> do you ask if they have a request? Yes. I have a top hat and a cane and I come out. Yeah. No, actually, um, a lot of the nurses that work in pre-op, when I come out to greet the patient, they all say, oh, you have a celebrity nurse. She's from the Northwell Health Nurse Choir. They're on America's Got Talent. And the patient would say, oh, I saw you guys. You were great. Oh, my and gosh. They say, yeah. And then they'll say, can you sing something? And I tell them, okay, what do you want to hear? Wow. You take requests. So, mm-hmm. And that's I probably do. people of all ages, right? All ages. And it works for the younger kids too. I work with a lot of special needs children hmm. and I've learned that singing to them in pre-op keeps them calm. And I sing whatever songs they like. I ask mom and dad or whoever's with them, you know, what show do they like? And mm-hmm. I have young kids too. So I, I know most of the cartoon theme songs and I sing to them on the way into the OR and it makes it a more pleasant experience for them. And it takes that fear away a little bit. So they have a connection. They have someone they know they can connect, connect with when their parent isn't with them. Wow. Can you be my nurse the next time I need surgery? <laughs> sure. Make, make a request list. I'll get ready. <laughs> All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly to New York from New Mexico next time I need some sort of ambulatory surgery. Hopefully it won't be too long. Well, it'll be a long time from now, but I'll ask I, for- I hope, I hope so too. <laughs> I'll ask for Nurse Danielle. and. Um, Eric, when when this, you know, all started to come together and the, you know, the the documentary and the project, and when did you first hear the music and what kind of impact did that have on you? Yeah, I mean, so one of the beautiful things about being an operations and, and clinical guy is um, I didn't hear the music until the production was done. I didn't really even see it until we were pretty far along in um in the creation of this documentary probably a week or two before it was released publicly um and it was it was really moving i mean it was really moving to 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 hear the music um i don't think i was even told prior that it was the northwell nurse choir i was like god the music is just so great and like oh yeah that's our choir and i was like oh that's so it's perfect i was like it's just it's a perfect um a perfect uh accompaniment to such a powerful story and statement that Northwell was trying to make in producing this. And um, yeah, it took my breath away. Yeah, it really is beautiful. And, you know, 12 minutes doesn't seem like a long time when someone says it, but they tell a pretty compelling story in 12 minutes. And documentary shorts is a real art form. And who who actually made the film? Uh, it was uh, pr- produced by Northwell in conjunction with uh, a company called Strawberry Frog. Um, which um, mm-hmm. is a is a you know video production company um, that, that has worked with Northwell in the past, um, and they you know we had we had several exploratory meetings during the time that you know we were really getting things going, and so I I 
to, in all honesty, I barely paid attention to, to kind of what was happening until it happened because they were like, Hey, we want you to talk to these filmmakers. They're going to have a camera crew in Lviv and they want to, they, they're going to, they may want to film some of the stuff that you're doing. And so I just, you know, I'm used to going on to, onto zoom calls and just telling people about what we're trying to do. Um, and I really just sat with the producers and just kind of boldly said, you know, we're, this was at a time where we, I think we may have done one or two consults in the first week, you know, the volume was super low. Uh, we still weren't sure whether this was going to be a complete success or whether we were going to fall flat on our face, but we were okay because we were boldly trying to do it. And I, and I told everyone in the, you know, in my team and, and, and in Northwell, honestly, even, you know, Mr. Dowling, when I met with him in May, I said, you know, this is something that you know, nobody has done before. Nobody, there's no book that I can read about how to do telemedicine during a war. It just hasn't, no. it's not a technology that's been applied yet. And so we were writing the book as we were going. And, and so I said, you know, this is going to be something special. No matter what it is, it's going to be something very special. Um, and I thanked the leadership team for permission to fail because I knew that in order to do this, we were going to have to try and fail through several iterations until we got it right. And so yeah. um, it was, you know, it was great. It all came together in a way that I think um, was really um you know, just, uh, you know, representative of kind of the boldness of a new initiative. Yeah. And, and Eric, you're the past president of the Global Emergency Medicine Academy of the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine and past president of the International Emergency Medicine Fellowship Consortium. And you have a master's in public health and you've been a fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians. So you've been around. So it's not like this is your first rodeo, but when it comes to war, I mean, it's a very different beast, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I've worked in, in post-conflict areas, uh, you know, mm -hmm. global emergency medicine is kind of conflict avid, you know, yeah. we like working in, in, in areas adjacent to war. So I have a lot of friends that worked, um, you know, that have worked in South Sudan. I, I did my fellowship training, my, my kind of, you know, uh, a lot of my field work was in El Salvador was in um, El Salvador in 2014, which 2014, 2015, El Salvador had the notoriety of being the most violent country, not at war. Um, so one out of every thousand adults died of a homicide in El Salvador in 2015. Wow. Um, which is pretty, yeah, pretty profound um, uh, figure, public health figure. So I'm used to kind of being in dangerous places, mm. um, but this, this was a place where I, it was dangerous and I couldn't be there. There was mm -hmm. no responsible way to be there. Mm -hmm. And I was very much like, I'm an ER doc, right? Like I like to get my hands dirty and get involved and get things done. And that wasn't going to work this time. We had to be more creative. We had to be a little, a little, um, a little swifter and a little smarter. And so, you know, it was a good challenge for our team. Um, and I think it, it took some of the lessons we had learned both in setting up a COVID field hospital during COVID and um, some of the lessons we had learned from kind of global emergency medicine disaster relief um, and kind of combined those two kind of, uh, you know, um, prior experiences and tried to create something that was hopefully very helpful that had, you know, no Northwell team members on the ground in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the impact, I mean, you'll be measuring the impact for a long time in terms of in-kind donations and money and just the, what call it the, the moral support of those providers who are on the other end of the line, right? And, and Danielle, have you ever volunteered or done mission trips or anything like that? Have you ever been in, in a 
international situation, you know, in ter- as a healthcare provider? No, I never had the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Does this kind of give you a little itch to maybe someday do that when your kids are older? Obviously, you have young children. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I've always wanted to. And that's one of the things that's on my list to do mm-hmm. when my kids are older. Yeah, I've met a lot of nurses who've done things either through school or, you know, just on their own during, you know, kind of like working vacations. They'll go on a volunteer trip. And I was able to go to rural Jamaica when I was doing my bachelor's at University of Massachusetts Amherst. And then my my then wife and I got involved in got involved in a nonprofit and did work down there. And I still have kind of like adopted family down there. So, you know, the ability to see how medicine and nursing are practiced in other places is pretty profound. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, your kids are, are school age, I take it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the day will come where maybe you'll have the opportunity to do something like that. But until then, I know that one of your sons is on the autism spectrum. And I understand that music has really played a part in your relationship and also his ability to express himself. So can you talk a little bit about that and how, how you've utilized music, you know, in your personal life with your son? I I would love to share that story. So um, he was nonverbal and he couldn't point to things that he wanted. And uh, one day he was in the kitchen and he wanted something from the counter and he was just grunting. And I, couldn't figure it out. And, you know, trial and error, we still couldn't figure it out. So we both broke down crying because we just couldn't understand each other. So I started singing, which was, you know, something I was taught to do to comfort myself as a child. And he immediately made eye contact with me. And it was probably the first time that he realized that I was there and that I was there to help him. And from that moment on, I would sing his name to get his attention. I made up songs for our routines. Bath time had a song. Bedtime had a song. Playtime had a song. Mm. And it helped bring him back to me out of his world. And we had a way to connect. And music, for me, I believe, is the language of love. It's the language of the soul. You don't need to understand the lyrics. You can feel it. Mm -hmm. So he was able to feel my love for him. And that's how we began our relationship as mother and son. And he started singing and then he started learning words by singing. And it's something that we still do today. That's beautiful. And how old is he now? He's going to be nine on Sunday. All right. I'm going to be. Yes. We're recording this on August 10th. This is coming out a little later, but I'm tell him I'm going to be 58 on Monday. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Happy birthday. Thank you. I'm a little bit ahead of him, but that's great. Um, we both share that, that mid-August birthday. You know, It's a great time to have mm-hmm. a birthday. It always has been. Um, so in terms of your involvement in the choir and what you've done. I mean, the White House, America's Got Talent, the Today Show, the documentary. What do you feel like the choir, what might you do next? Are there plans for the choir? 
you know, Keith, with with Northwell, the sky is the limit. Appar- <laughs> you know, apparently, uh, yeah. <laughs> but the marketing team, Michael Dowling, he has big dreams, and you know, we're a team of go getters, and we like to get things done, like Dr. Pena said. So who knows where it goes from here? Uh-huh. I'm enjoying every minute. Um, the, my choir mates are like family, and wherever it goes, I'm going to be happy to be on the ride. That's awesome. That's great. And we're going to have a link to the documentary in the show notes so people can can link to it and we'll put it out on social media too. It's beautiful. And and there's great um, images on the website for the choir, you know, on the Northwell page, you know, of you with President Biden, of you all at America's Got Talent. There's some great mm-hmm. stills and there's great stuff for people to see and, and enjoy around the choir. So it's really wonderful. And Eric, in terms of the program in the Ukraine, I mean, I know you all are dedicated to continuing, you know, it's not over. So there's the telemedicine part and they're sending money, they're sending supplies. And is there any other aspect that you all have discovered that you might be able to, you know, kind of bring forward? Yeah, I think one of the things that's really important about how we do global health at Northwell mm-hmm. is, you know, we, we're very methodical, even in, in emergencies, we're very methodical about it. So our, our initial conversations were with the Ukrainian Ministry of Health to let them know what we wanted to do to make sure that they were okay with it and to coordinate with them. And they actually approached us and said, you know, we're really interested in in when we do rebuild, having telemedicine be an integral part of how our health system rebuilds um, to make sure that we can balance resources throughout the country and improve healthcare as we rebuild the country. And, you know, we've been kind of uh, maintaining contact with them, but also, you know, we're recording lots of data of, of what's going on, what's missing, what hospitals have what, what hospitals are missing, other other things. And so we're we're essentially doing a longitudinal needs assessment for the country of Ukraine, for its healthcare system moving forward. And we intend to use that data collaboratively with anyone that wants to work with us, especially the government of Ukraine, to, to, to be a part of the rebuild and to make sure that when, um, you know, when hostilities to see, you know, end, we are able to, um, you know, uh, get, go to Ukraine and, and start helping them rebuild their healthcare system in their country. And that's really what we're doing in our other, what we call core sites. You know, we work in primarily Guyana, Ecuador, and Southern India. And we, that was part of the creation of the Center for Global Health was transitioning to what's called a core site model, where we, you know, instead of doing, you know, 40 different things in different countries for, for short periods of time, we're taking, you know, five to 10 year commitments with these three countries and, and hopefully um, fundamentally changing our relationship with them along the way and, and, and um, helping them develop their healthcare systems. And so we intend to do the exact same thing in Ukraine. Um, we're not, we're not packing up and leaving when hostilities are over. That's actually when the fun starts and when we can actually start really impacting people's lives. Yeah, that's fantastic. And this is an amazing project. And if people want to donate, um, you know, financially, is there a link we can put in the show notes to make sure people know where to do that? Yes, I can um, give you the foundation's um, global health page, which um, is currently accepting donations. And right now, all of the donations that you donate are restricted to the Ukraine program. So mm-hmm. um, we'll make sure it gets to, to where help is needed. That's great. Okay. Now, before we wrap up, and I'd, I'd rather not, but we have to, <laughs> um, got to let y'all go. I have four quick questions I ask all my guests, and I want to run them all by 
each of you. And mm-hmm. obviously one of you will hear it in advance and have a little more time to prepare. So I'll make sure you each have the head start for two out of the four. Okay. <laughs> so Danielle, I'm going to start with you and we'll have to keep these kind of concise. But um, the first one is, how do you define success either personally or professionally? So I, I think that success doesn't need to be separated between personal success and professional success. I think they're intertwined um, because to me, happy, finding happiness is success. If you can find your happiness in your personal life and in your professional life, you reach success. That's beautiful. And now, um, Eric, you've had time to prep as Danielle did not. So how would you define success? Um, I would, I would define success as, as getting the yes. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to say no and move on. Um, it's much more challenging when the situation looks impossible to figure out a way to make it possible. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's, it's finding a way to yes. I like that. Okay. Now, Eric, I'm going to ask you the next question. So Danielle has time to prepare this time. Fair's fair. Um, could you name or just describe, you don't have to name them if you don't want to, one person who's inspired you in the course of your life. They can be living or dead. They could be famous. They could be not famous. Just someone who's had, you know, a, an impact on you. Yeah, I'll, I'll just, I, if it's okay, I'm going to pick two people. Go for um, it. But uh, the first one uh, is Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I the, the boldness and the um, uh, uh, generousness and kindness of of being insistent on this is something that has to happen, but I can, but I'm going to do it in a loving way, um, and uh, but a but a but a fiercely bold way. Um, that that certainly spoke speaks to me, um, and. Um, and then the, the second one, um, uh, I, I'm going to say my, you know, my family, my mom and dad, mm. um, my wife, um, who constantly show me um, how to be a loving, caring human being um, in the world. That's lovely. Thank you. And Danielle, Eric threw in a ton of people, but you can do one or whatever you would like. Who would you, who would you name or describe? Um. It's simple for me. It's my son. He inspires me every day. He Mm -hmm. overcomes obstacles and he has accomplished so much more than we ever thought he could. So it's my son. That's beautiful. I had a feeling you were going to say that. He's, it sounds like he's sort of your hero. And his name is Eric too. Eric. Yeah. Good name. Good name. (laughs) Danielle, I'll ask you the next one. Is there a book or a movie, and it doesn't have to be an absolute favorite, just one that's had a major impact on the way you think or the way you live your life? I I really can't think of one right now. Okay. All right. I can't think of one. All right. We'll um, we'll come back to you. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. How about you, Eric? A, A book or movie that's really, really had an impact on you? Uh, I think I'm going to go with the corny one, um, which okay. is, uh, mountain beyond mountains beyond mountains by Tracy Kidder. Oh yes. Um, which is the Paul farmer story. I, I read that when I was, um, kind of still in training. Um, and, uh, it really inspired and, and, and I think shaped the way my life has turned out. 
It's a beautiful book. And Paul Farmer was the uh, founder of, I'm trying to remember the name of the organization. Partners in Health. Partners in Health, PIH, right. Yeah. And, and we lost him a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think last year we last lost him year. last year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a beautiful book. I definitely recommend it. And um, let's see. So Eric, I have one for you and Danielle can prepare for this one. Mm-hmm. What's a piece of advice you'd give your 18 year old self right now, whether you think he'd listen or not? What would you tell 18 year old Eric? Uh, probably stops worrying so much about what other people think of you and just be true to yourself. Good one. 18 year olds have a powerful, um, invisible audience, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is a little smaller at 58, but it's still there. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, how about you, Danielle? What would you tell 18 year old Danielle? Uh, I would, I would tell her don't take people in your life for granted. Um, you know, they, you don't know if they're going to be there tomorrow. That's so true. That's a good one. And did you think of a book or movie you'd like to mention that has affected and, you? Not, I don't, not one that shaped me. I love Shawshank Redemption, but oh yeah, that's a <laughs> I great mean, one. Uh, I, I don't know how it relates to my life, but uh... well, Shawshank Redemption <laughs> for me is it's a. I love that that movie, and it's really a story about someone who who uses his mind, you know, his creativity and his ability to, to harness the power of his intellect for the benefit of himself and other people. And he kind of holds this vision of a future for himself and this person he befriends, you know, the Morgan Freeman character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's kind of how I see the Shawshank Redemption. I mean, and even just the word redemption, you know. Right that he finds a way through like incredible adversity. So anyway, that's my take on that particular film. I, I like that. That's a, that's like a that. really good choice. I love that. Well, mm-hmm. I don't want to say goodbye to either of you, but Danielle Philippone, RN at Northwell Health, Staten Island University Hospital, and Dr. Eric Choi Pena, MD, MPH, founding director of the Center for Global Health of Northwell Health and the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. This is so wonderful. And we want everyone to see the documentary. We want everyone to donate to the foundation so that the money can go to the Ukraine. And thank you so much for being here, taking the time and you know, sharing a really inspiring story. And we, I personally can't thank you enough for what you all are doing to contribute to what's happening over there. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Nurse Keith. It's been an honor. Thanks, Danielle. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com in the drop-down menu or anywhere on any podcast app where you want to access the show. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode to do something new in your life, to do something novel, to give to others in a way that really has meaning for you. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your career, make sure you check out Nurse Keith Coaching. Mention the show and get a 10% discount on your first coaching package. We are a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We are adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. And Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote. One of my favorites, this is by the musician Robert Fripp. 
May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Danielle Philippone bidding you adieu from? Hillsdale, New Jersey. And Dr. Eric Choi Pena saying arrivederci from? Fire Island, New York. Fire Island, New York. Awesome. Thank you both so much. This has been a great interview and we will catch everybody on the proverbial flip side. 